This episode is brought to you by Rev1. Rev1's mission is to help entrepreneurs build great companies. As you navigate the waters of business entrepreneurship, you don't have to go it alone. A strategic partnership with Rev1 connects innovators to the talent, customers, space, and funding you need when you need it. Get started with Rev1 Startup Studio by visiting rev1ventures.com to learn more. Again, the website is rev1ventures.com. Support for 614 Startups comes from Color Coded Labs. It's time for a better career in tech. Introducing Color Coded Labs, a 16-week boot camp that does more than just teach basic code. It's a program designed to help you actually get a career in tech. At Color Coded Labs, we've removed all the barriers to help you learn the skills you need to start a career you love in weeks, not years. All designed for people of color by people of color. Apply now at colorcodedlabs.com. Six One Four Startups Nation. Welcome to another episode of the Six One Four Startups Podcast. My name is Elio Harmon, your host, and I'm here with my very special guest, Nathan Hurd of Healthy Roster. Nathan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Elio. All right. So your company name rings bells. I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with the company, but we're going to dig into this company a little bit more because I know there's an interesting story to uncover. But I like to start every episode with a bit, bit of the personal and professional background of the guest, so please share. Sure, so I've been in startup land almost my entire career. Um, went to school at Bowling Green and then graduated in 97, and by 98, the end of 98, I had started my first um, uh, web startup. It was an online job board. So um, I have spent the last 25 years now, geez, 25 years, um, building and, and, and running startups, so. Yeah, now, from in this chair that I sit, it's pretty tempting to start a job board. In fact, we're having conversations about Are job you? boards. So I'm going to go into some free consulting here, sure. right? Yep. Two, two words, yes or no on the job board question. <laughs> what are your thoughts? Um, it has really, really been done well several times over, but there are still gaps. So it really depends on how niche you're going to get with your job board as to like what your focus and, and how far you can drive that success. It's been a long time since I've been in that game, but when I got in, everybody was still in the paper classified. So making the jump to a job board, that was brand new and no one really knew what was, you know, that that would be how everybody looked at it in the future, or at least not a lot of people at that point, so. Yeah, you sound like an investor. You're not gonna dissuade me from my idea, but like, like everything else in startups, it's finding that you know, minimal viable customer base, yep. right? Cracking that code on the people who have an acute problem, you can solve it in their niche and then grow from there. And I wanna start with the story of Healthy Roster and the problem that you guys are solving. So that's really interesting because I think one of the things that I've learned over the years of being an entrepreneur is that you can have a great idea. You can talk it and, and explain it and share it with as many people as you want but you really don't know whether your idea is worth pursuing until you get somebody who's willing to pay for it. And I think that's a step that a lot of entrepreneurs just kind of gloss over. It's like, well, I'm gonna build it first, and then I'll have somebody you know, pay for it. And, and really, Healthy Roster comes into play here because we decided to like figure out, could we sell the idea and actually sell it 
in, in prototype form before we built it out. We wanted to get, you know, basically verification that there was a market for it. So the story behind Healthy Roster is that I have two co-founders, um, Dan Franzak and, and Sean Price, and we had all worked together at a previous company. And that company was in the sports, um, high school sports space. So we had a, this deep background in high school sports, and that included you know, the coaching side and the athlete side, the parent and, and audience side. And as we sold that company and started to look at, hey, maybe we should do this together and, and do our own startup, we kind of looked at that industry and went, all right, what's broken? And at the exact same time we were asking that question, um, the concussion blowback from the NFL was happening. So this is like 2014. And um, at that point, you know, moms and dads were really concerned about concussions and high school football, to be very blunt, was I think in a lot of people's minds in jeopardy. Like moms aren't going to let their boys and, and really dads should be the same way. Moms and dads aren't going to let their, their sons go out and play football if they're worried about concussions and brain injuries. And so that got us looking at that entire piece and going, right, well, who's taking care of the athletes? And the answer to that question was athletic trainers. And once we identified that and looked at those athletic trainers and what they were using to do their job, we saw this tremendous gap. The software they used to track injuries and then communicate those injuries with mom and dad and the AD and the coach and then the doctors that eventually take care of injured athletes, it was really substandard. It was old software and it, it, it there were no mobile apps. I mean, we're talking 2014, 15 mm -hmm. at this point. There were no mobile apps in the industry. And we're looking at this going, oh, guys, we can, we can hit a home run here. And so that's really what got us started thinking about it. And we're like, well, let's go pitch it and see if that's accurate. I want to dig into what you just said, which is go sell the idea first. How do you go about doing that the right way? Because yeah. there's a little bit of like, I mean, yeah, I can talk about what I would like to do. Yeah. It's another thing to be able to do it. How do you sell ideas the right way? It's tricky because you as an entrepreneur want to feel like you're legit and the product that you have in your mind actually exists before you sell it. But the trick is to actually go in with some type of mock-up and there are a lot of tools out there that help you kind of design step-by-step um, uh, prototypes, I guess is the best way to say. Even for mobile apps, you can create screen-by-screen -screen prototypes of your app and, and build something like that out. It can just be designed in a, in a PowerPoint and slide-by-slide -slide and showing people what it is. But the key is, is to go into your first set of customers, whoever they may be, find the earlier adopters and partner with them. Mm -hmm. Say, look, I've identified this gap. Do you agree? This is a phone call. This is, you know, you and me so just So you talking. go customers first? Because I think a lot of startups, when they hear sell idea, they immediately think sell it to investor. Oh, no. That's not who you're talking oh, about. Oh, no. You're saying idea on paper, mock up something, then go to the market, the people who are actually going to have to buy this thing and sell it to them. Very few investors um, anywhere will give you money for an idea. Mm -hmm. No investors around here give you money for ideas. Okay. And I've been doing this a long time and I've raised money for three different companies and they all have the same approach and it's all, it's all legit. They want to see at least initial traction, some proof that what you're telling them is actually backed by customer demand. It doesn't have to be a full fledged product yet. It doesn't have to be, you know, 
the, the, the finished thing, but you gotta have somebody that on the customer side that says, I'm actually willing to put money down on this. Mm -hmm. So what did that look like for healthy roster? So you asked yourself what's broken here. Mm -hmm. You found that the software is antiquated in a market where people were panicking basically. Yeah. Like, do is high school football dead? I remember the headlines. Yep. How do you take that idea to the market? So we actually um, did a couple of um, kind of like soft customer lunches. We took, you know, people that we were connected to at Ohio Health and, and um, Dayton Children's and a couple of other local hospitals. And we went to lunch and we talked to them. We said, hey, these are the gaps we're seeing. Do you feel these pains during your everyday um, efforts out on the sidelines and managing athletic trainers and athletic trainers managing parents and athletes and like in, in all these interactions, are these the gaps? And once they said yes, then we took that back and we went, all right, these are the gaps. How do we, how do we mock something up, so to speak? And really one of the first key gaps we went after was communication. The communication between an athletic trainer and mom and dad when something goes wrong is at that time was, was one side. It was if the athletic trainer is at the event where you get hurt and so is mom or dad, then it was, I'm going to go talk to mom and dad and tell her what, I, tell him or her what I think that has happened and what you should do. Cause athletic trainers are first responders, mm -hmm. right? They're, they're there to make sure that when an injury happens, somebody with medical knowledge is there and can, assess how bad the injury is and what steps to take. Um, and so that information is key for mom or dad because the first thing you do when your kid gets hurt on the field is go, oh my God, like how bad is it? Mm -hmm. Like I, I, he's, he's in pain or she's in pain. I, I don't know what to do next step. Do I rush to the emergency room or can it wait till tomorrow? And these are all answers that as a parent, you just don't have until you talk to somebody like an athletic trainer. So that communication was so key and it was so random on whether it happened or not. If your kid gets hurt at practice, mom or dad aren't there. So then the message goes from the AT to the injured athlete back to the parents. So let me ask you this. So that was problem number one, the communication between the trainer and the parent when an injury occurs. Mm -hmm. But let's back up a little bit. So you take the customers out, they identify a gap. Do you, do you ask this very important question, which is, if we could close this gap, what is the meaningful impact that it will have on your business? Meaning it goes beyond, yes, I just have a problem, but yeah. that a problem might just reflect an annoyance. Right. Like, you know, it's like a, you know, one extra phone call or whatever. But was it so acute that it represented either a financial issue, was putting a strain on their resources, beyond just it being a problem, did it become acute that they needed to solve it? Right, is the pain worth paying for. Correct. It is the only question you need to have answered. And so when we were, when we were having the customer lunches, I, identifying that we were on the right track with the gaps was stage one. Stage two is, all right, how do we, how do we close that gap? Stage three is then we did presentations for them. Um, and, and Ohio Health in, in, in specific, we had 10 people, eight athletic trainers and sports medicine directors around the table. And we said, this is how we, we, we're gonna solve this gap for you you know, is this something you guys would want to pay for to be able to have and use on your staff and for your athletic trainers? Let's talk about the importance of relationships. Because, yeah. you know, somebody who hasn't worked in an industry before is probably aghast. Like, how do you get people from Nationwide around the table to listen to your idea and provide you very valuable feedback 
one, the problem, maybe even giving you somewhat of a roadmap to go build the solution and mm -hmm. then coming back and telling you whether or not they're going to pay for it. I hear this all the time, like industry experience, industry connections matter. How did you guys get those folks around the table? So that it helps being in a, in a city and, a, and building your network over 20 years to have those types of contacts when you want to do that. When I said we were in the high school you know, space in our previous company, those were all things that we had built over time, right? And so it's, it's not impossible to start up a company where you don't have any germane experience or, 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 net, or deep networks, but it's a lot easier when you do. And so we just use personal connections and we said, look, we don't have all the answers here, but we think there's a problem. We'd love to like treat you to lunch and here, everybody wants to be known as somebody who's an expert in their field. And when you approach somebody like that and say, I trust you and would love to hear your thoughts on this, that's a pretty easy, yes, I'll go have coffee with you. Yes, I'll grab lunch with you. Full transparency, I've been doing business long enough and I should not, I, I should not have um, been as transactional early on when I started this podcast. So my culpa to anybody who I was very transactional with to start. But you talk about relationships over 20 years. Part of this show is part hearing your story, but then part imparting knowledge, mm -hmm. wisdom that could help somebody else from making mistakes. Let's talk about the importance of not being transactional in relationship building because everybody that you meet, everybody that you deal with is important. They're a person. You shouldn't just, you know, kind of figure out what you can get from them in the short term. How important is that for yeah, startup I mean, founders in building networks? I mean, even if you're not a startup founder, mm -hmm. the key to a successful business career is figuring out ways you can give back to the business community to the industry specific communities or just your coworkers because you never know where those people are going to re-enter your life at any point. Um, my co-founder Dan and I knew each other in high school, um, friends of friends. So we weren't like great buddies or anything like that, but we knew each other and then connected again five years after college. And then again, when we decided to work together at that previous company, another 10 years after that. And Dan had spent his entire career to that point building high school connections, doing Friday Night Lights for Channel 10 TV here. And so, you know, all of these things are based upon, you know, network connections and how you approach people. And so to yeah. your point, transactional, not great. Giving what you can to other people when, when they need it, that's what builds a bridge. Well, I love having vets on the show, people yep. who have gone through the, the, the process, they've built companies and they have this wisdom to impart. But I'm gonna have you hold that thought because we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back. Thank you guys for tuning in. I'll be right back with my guest, Nathan Hurd of Healthy Roster. Support for the 614 Startups Podcast comes from Bernstein Private Wealth Management's Columbus-based team of professional advisors. In a world where most investment managers look alike, Bernstein Private Wealth Management has evolved into an organization like no other. Some money managers look to add value after a business is sold, but Bernstein delivers proactive advice right from the start. Whether you're eyeing the exit or you've just launched, Bernstein is committed to your financial success. If you're interested in partnering with Bernstein on your entrepreneurial journey, Visit Bernstein.com to learn more. Again, that website is Bernstein.com to learn more. Bernstein, fully invested in better outcomes. Support for the 614 Startups Podcast comes from Nationwide. 
Nationwide's mission is to protect people, businesses, and futures with extraordinary care. To help fulfill that mission, Nationwide is looking to invest its $350 million venture capital investment fund in InsureTechs that will help them create new and exciting products and solutions to meet the needs of their customers. If you're interested in partnering with Nationwide's venture capital team, visit nationwideventures.com to learn more. Again, the website is nationwideventures.com. Nationwide is on your side. Six on four startups nation. Welcome back to my conversation with Nathan Hurd of healthy roster. All right, Nathan, I want to jump right back in. Uh, so you identify this first problem communication between trainers and parents. How do you solve that problem? What's next? Yeah. So what we identified was athletic trainers and parents that communication was key to the next step of triaging an injury. And so when we did that, we were like, well, live, live, um, you know, live chat and telehealth, those were keys. And back in 2015, that wasn't as prevalent as it was today. And so what we did is we just mocked up a, 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 a mini app. It wasn't, it was basically FaceTime, which isn't HIPAA compliant, isn't usable out in the field from a, a medical standpoint, but we just wanted to show how we could solve this issue. And so we brought Ohio Health together and we said, what if we did this? And would this be a value to you? And we showed them a little mini, a mini demo and they loved it. And around the table, you saw heads bobbing and you, the, the, the sports medicine director was like, this is exactly what we need. This is exactly going to solve this problem. And it wasn't the whole solution. It didn't end up being the piece that was used most, but I think it was one of those pains that they had no solution for, no good solution for at the time, and they were willing to pay for it. And that, that just, that led us right off into the, all right, let's get this rolling. Let's build out the app. And we, we got them to sign the agreement, pending it being done and them being happy with it. And so we sold it before we built it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So now from, from the, 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 the hard head nod, and I'm agreeing with you, to getting to first product, did you have folks on your team that could build product? How did you guys develop? Yeah, so there's three of us. And so, you know, I have a deep background in, in starting companies and raising funding. Um, Dan um, had a deep background in high school sports and then also selling. And then Sean Price is our third co-founder had, you know, he was a lead developer for us at our previous company and um, mobile dev and just a fantastic guy, product guy. And so we just knew like we had three different areas of strengths and if we could combine them all, we could get going much faster. And uh, I just, um, when you get a technical co-founder, it can really accelerate your development. They're hard to find. It, again, it comes back to your network usually. Mm -hmm. um, just cold calling people off of LinkedIn is really difficult to find that right fit. But I had known Sean, I had worked with him and, and luckily it was the right decision. Now, even though you identified that first problem, you got the head, hard head nod on, you basically sold it right yeah. at that point. Yeah. How, how did you stay on task? Because what tends to happen is that we get that problem, we get kind of the, the permission to go out and build this thing because the customer is saying we want it. Yeah. How do you in the dev process put guardrails on? It says we're only building this, we're not gonna put all the bells and whistles on here because it's very easy to go crazy before you get version one in the hands of your customer. It is, and it's, it's a constant tug and pull battle on what's sellable for the next customer, because the next customer means growth and it means the continuation of what you're doing. 
and what has you know already been built and agreed upon that this is this is a feature that everybody needs and so what we tried to do was build um, we built out the first feature that closed the first gap and then we talked to our customers and the users the athletic trainers in the field and said what is this thing missing and from there what we really got was excellent feedback from a couple of athletic trainers who said look i need to i need to log every injury i do in your app otherwise i'm not going to use your app so what's a critical mass for that initial feedback so you deploy it what version one for you to get critical data on what's missing what people like how often they're using it what what do you, do you have a magic number? I mean, having done this a couple of times with technology, what do you, how many critical users do you need to get that feedback? I That's mean, valid, like where you can yeah. say, okay, there's something here, enough people have touched it. So we could tell by the number of telehealth visits that were happening over, let's call it the first 50 users, first 50 athletic trainers. And remember like Ohio Health has, at the time they probably had 70, they probably over, have over 100 now. Um, so just alone in their group, there was a good sampling of athletic trainers, but we had three or four hospitals that were initial users. And so we had a good 100 to 200 users and we could see, you know, kind of what was growing, what wasn't like ses telehealth sessions were not growing. And so when we dug into why they weren't growing, it was like, well, I don't use the app that often. And I forget that I have it. Well, why don't you use the app? Well, look, the main thing I do is I, I track the injuries and I have to do that in another system oh, so you actually still have to do that piece of it. And we're like, all right, we gotta build this piece of it. And so it's called an EMR, Electronic Medical Records um, System. And it's just exactly what it sounds like. If you're out in the field, like if you're a doctor inside the hospital, you're, you're putting information into Epic or Cerner, which are these massive software products that hospitals use to track everything about why you're there as a patient. Mm -hmm. When you're out in the field, you don't have access to any of that. So athletic trainers are dealing with kids that are getting injured and injuries, but they need a place to put that information. So when we identified that was what they needed on a daily basis, they may not think that was worth paying for so much more than anything else. But when you comboed those two things, now you had the daily tool with a gap closer like telehealth that just made it a super app. And, and this points to a very interesting kind of realization as a founder that you're not building a company for yourself, right? You're building, product for your customer, right? Right. When you had the realization based on customer feedback that you now have to build an EMR, now you're getting into the world of regulation, uh, uh, security standards, it has to maybe integrate with some other software. Was that a welcome surprise that now this is what you're going to have to do in, in order to improve, <laughs> improve utilization? What was that conversation like with your team? Oh my God, we have to build this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was like, yeah, I, I don't think it shocked any of us that we weren't done building a product. Like we all knew that, you know, the first gap we closed wasn't what the end product was going to be. But building out the breadth of what was necessary on the EMR, that was a lot. And it took a long time. And so we tried to, to break it into chunks. What is the baseline stuff you need today? And we built that first. Mm -hmm. And then, all right, what's, what's the advanced stuff you need? And then what's the stuff that you've not been able to use because other systems don't have. And that got really exciting because now we're adding new features that didn't exist in any other platform and marrying it with telehealth and, and the baseline EMR. And we're like, all right, this is a full-fledged product now. Mm -hmm. And at about that time, we started to see not just early adopters, but people who are using other systems going, it might be time for us to look and see 
what this new player is all about. Now, for a lot of founding teams, Sean is probably like, if I got to build this thing by myself, I'm quitting, <laughs> right? Yeah. So is that about the time you guys start looking at investors, say, hey, we have this, there are folks paying for it, but we need to go out and build version two. We might need to bring on additional expertise. I mean, we need people who understand diagnosis coding and medication lists and, yeah. you know, and all of this other stuff. Is that where you start talking to investors or are you guys still bootstrapping this thing to the next phase. So you're going to make a decision in your life when you do when you do a startup when you're an entrepreneur. And that is how much are you willing to risk of your personal capital of your personal time to make this business successful. When you're 20, eating ramen and sharing a apartment with somebody and working, you know, 20 hours a day, those are all things that don't have a lot of um, cost to them, right? because you, you, you're more, usually, you're on your own and you have the flexibility to do that. When we started this business, you know, I was, you know, 41, 40, 41, and it was like, oh, I've got three kids and, you know, mortgage and house, and so did Dan and so did Sean, and you start to look at this and go, all right, so you have to make a choice. Do we wanna bootstrap this, you know, as long as we possibly can and try and, you know, retain all the equity possible, or do we wanna move this thing as fast as we can give up the equity, but get the funding that makes all of that possible. And we just chose that second option um, to build faster, lose equity, which is painful in its own right, but it gets you the advantage of being able to move fast, pay yourself salaries, do the things that, you know, at, at, at a certain stage in your life matter a mm -hmm. lot. All right. So when you go out on the market, mm -hmm. you're in Columbus, Ohio, um, what was that process like? Because you know, you, I think a lot of people take for granted how many conversations you have to have with investors and they feel like a no from an investor or a not now from an investor is somehow, uh, they're rendering a judgment on whether or not your company is going to work. What was that fundraising process like for you guys when you decided to go out and raise some money? So I had done it before. So um, I understood the types of players in the market who do funding. Rev1, one of your sponsors, fantastic group, right? I'd worked with them before. Um, Columbus Tech Angels, who are kind of tucked in to Rev1, they had funded one of my businesses before. Um, I had a network of, of successful entrepreneurs who are angel investors, and I was able to kind of reach out in stages, and I did that. I went first to my personal network, and I said, hey, uh, we're doing this, and looking for the first $100,000 to like get Dan full-time so he could sell more. And that, that's how we looked at it. How do we mm -hmm. piece together the most successful fundraise? And that was customer traction would lead that process for us. The more customers you have, the less no's you get. Mm -hmm. It's really easy to go to Rev1 and say, hey, we have 14 customers. And by the way, like almost all of the hospitals in central Ohio and in Ohio in general are now using us and paying for it. Yeah. At that point, they're, they're not asking you like, I don't know if this is a good idea. They're going, how big can it get? And it's not just the customers, the quality of the customer. It's like hospital checks True. don't bounce. They know right. if the hospital is your right. customer, they don't have to be worried about whether or not the invoices no. are gonna pay right. as long as you're solving problems in that setting. So, right. you know, like you said, having traction, having those, those customers, but then the quality of those customers. Who are your customers and then how many other customers like them are out in the market that you can reach? Yep. And so you, you get initial funding, you continue to build, but when I go to the website today, there's a little bit more than what's happening on the sports side on your website. So let's talk about how the other part of your business came to be. So 
Yeah, that's a great point. So we've spent the last six years building out the sports medicine side. And along the way, we realized like, hey, there's a limited number of hospitals and number of athletic trainers taking care of high schools, colleges, and pro athletes. And by the way, we have just about every major hospital system in the country that does that hires athletic trainers and puts them out onto the sidelines. We have, we have probably 150 uh, universities that use us, including big schools like Ohio State and Notre Dame and a bunch of power fives. And then we have the PGA Tour, we have WWE Wrestling, we have some major brands that, that trust us as well to, to be the baseline software for the athletic trainers taking care of their athletes. But at some point, you know, we started looking at athletic training in general and realized there's actually another sub-segment of the athletic training space, and that was athletic trainers that were in the industrial side. And they were taking care of employees that were in active, um, um, active job titles. So basically anybody who is physically moving during the day is actually getting the exact same injuries that athletes get. They're getting MSK, musculoskeletal injuries. They're getting strains and sprains. They have aches and pains. And when you have those and you're doing a repetitive job like pulling products from Amazon and putting them into a box, or you're lifting boxes to load onto a truck, or you're driving a truck all day long, like shoulder pain and, and foot pain, those are things you and I might not, you know, it might not stop us from being keyboard warriors. Mm -hmm. But I'll tell you what, it stops somebody from doing their job when their job all day long is to pull products and their shoulder is aching. And so athletic trainers do the exact same thing they do on the sideline as they do inside those industrial environments. They're there and they're there to like identify pain and then help that, that employee deal with that pain. More stretches, you know, understanding what's really hurt and how to fix it. And then reorganizing their work environment so that they don't have to reach above their shoulder 50 times, you know, an hour like some Amazon employees do. And so athletic trainers are really valuable to the enterprise. The problem we identified is it's not scalable. So you run, Amazon's a great example. They have massive location out in Aetna, um, which is out on the east side, right? Mm -hmm. About 4,000 people are in that facility. And if you've ever been in that facility, it's, it's mind-blowing. It, it, you can't believe how big it is and how automated it is and how many people are there working. And so when you think about that, having an athletic trainer there is great, right? Like, hey, that person could walk around, you know, the eight football fields worth of area and just check on people all day long. But they run three shifts. And so getting enough athletic trainers in that one facility is difficult. You'd have to have eight or nine to run the 24 hours that Amazon does there. But what most people don't understand is Amazon has at least eight, they probably have more now, other locations in central Ohio that are mini depots and mini stations. They have no athletic trainers there. And they would have to put five or six or seven or eight athletic trainers at each one of those. Mm -hmm. So it's not scalable. So when we looked at our telehealth solution, we went, well, we could actually help you get access, immediate access to athletic trainers for all of your people, not just the ones that a person could walk around the floor on in one location, but all nine of your locations. And so we started taking that to market and found a lot of interest in that. And so we came upon this, this really hard decision. Mm -hmm. We've spent six years building out sports medicine. We have product market fit. We're the leader in the space and yet there was this huge amount of good we could do in the world in the industrial space by bringing athletic training at scale to that space. And so that was a big decision for us. All right, so the, fork, the proverbial fork in the road. Uh, and so you have loyal customers that have gotten you to where you are. 
you have this new business line that you want to start. So how are you balancing the two? Are you going to grow both businesses in parallel or are you going to go aggressively after this new opportunity? What are your thoughts there? Well, we're going aggressively into the industrial space. It, mm -hmm. it, it's needed. Bringing athletic training back to people who probably had it on the sideline but haven't had it for 10 or 20 years, that, that is a value that um, it means a great deal to the people who on a daily basis have aches and pains and no one to turn to. I mean, people aren't going to their doctors for those kinds of aches and pains, right? And, and even when they do, that process through work is actually a really expensive process to the, to the industrial companies. Like workers' comp claims and you know, workplace injuries, they're really expensive. $42,000 per worker um, medically reviewed workplace injury. That's a lot of money for companies every time that happens. And so bringing in care, triage and, and, and first aid type care to that situation can dramatically reduce the number of injuries that are medically consulted. You can drop it in half. Right. So when we looked at that and saw the impact that our software could make, we're like, we need to go do this. But we didn't have to like kill the old business because the platform is the same. The tools are essentially the same. It's an EMR with pill health, but we're just framing it in a, in a different way for the, the industrial side. And, and that knowledge meant we didn't have to abandon our customer base, but we are focusing on the industrial and making a push in there. And, and that's what our entire company is focused on. All right, that's great. And you know, location, 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 just like real estate, it's not bad to be headquartered in a city like Columbus, Ohio, yeah. surrounded by manufacturers. You don't have to go too far. Yeah. Um, uh, you're in the, in the perfect location to keep expanding in this space. We're gonna take a quick break. We're gonna be right back. We're gonna hear from our sponsors and continue our conversation with Nathan Hurd of Healthy Roster. Support for the Support for 614 Startups comes from the law firm of Dickinson Wright. With around 500 attorneys working from 19 offices across the U.S. and Canada, they handle all types of business transactional law, including advising privately held and venture capital-backed companies in capital raising, mergers and acquisition, and transactions involving technology, software, data, and e-commerce. Partner Alex Brown serves as outside counsel to start up companies ranging from business entity selection and formation, protection and commercialization of technology assets, conducting business online, and data security issues. For more information, visit DickinsonWright.com. Support for 614 Startups comes from Hairdrop. Never visit the beauty supply store again. Order your beauty products from the Hairdrop app and have them delivered in an hour or less. Hairdrop is like DoorDash for beauty products. Get your hair care, grooming tools, hair extensions, and more when you need them to ensure you look and feel your best at all times. Available for download from both the Apple and Google Play stores, get a beauty supply store in your pocket by visiting hairdrop.app and have your beauty delivered today. 614 Startups Nation, welcome back to my conversation with Nathan Hurd of Healthy Roster. All right, Nathan, pivot. You know, that's the cliche word. Clearly, you guys are pivoting into this new industry. But the connections that serve you well mm -hmm. on the athletic training side, they got you your first customers there. Mm -hmm. Clearly, there's a need here, but there's a rebuilding of networks that need to happen. So how are you guys managing that challenge? 
Yeah, so what we decided was we needed to raise another round of funding to give us the ability to go hire the right people in sales and marketing to really then go approach the new industry or the new customer base. And that, that being safety managers at industrial or, or, or um, yeah, industrial companies. And so we went out to our current investors and our board and we said, look, if we're going to do this right, we need to get a convertible note going. And, and that essentially means we're going to raise $4 million and we're going to put that money towards sales and marketing. And what our effort is going to lead to is a much bigger round where we expand in our Series A, I guess is the best way to, to frame that. Yeah. So I think from the outside looking in, a lot of people think that most of the money spent during a raise is to like pay for engineers or whatever. You're literally saying in order to go into this market, you needed that much dry powder to just deploy at sales and marketing. I mean, not all of it, clearly. Yeah. But right. the allocation for sales and marketing when you're going into a new market, why is that so important? Well, because we've spent our entire six years building a, mar a sales and marketing engine in the sports medicine space, going after hospital systems and people who hire athletic trainers. In this pivot or in this, this you know, kind of, you know, veer to a new market, what we're doing is we're going after a completely new decision maker. And so the people who are used to selling to those folks, they, they're not on our team. And, and so it just took another, um, it, it took us going out and realizing the, the folks that we were gonna have to bring in the door that had enough um, relationships and experience in the industry to not have to like bump our toes and, and, and you know, kind of stub our toes for six, 12 or 18 months and relearning how to sell to safety managers. We're like, let's go hire three of them that have been doing this for the last 10 years. Bring those folks in and get the product out and into as many hands as we possibly could. We had been doing founder sales kind of like as a way to verify that this was a place we should go. And we got two Fortune 500 companies that signed up and it was like, oh, okay, yeah, this is, this is needed. Yeah. Again, it's that point. It's like sell before you like jump. And so once we had the traction, we went to our investors and we said, look, this is needed, but we need, we need horses to get out and get into the market and, and bring our solution to the right people. And we need to do that in a 12-month span. That's why. So let's say there are sleeping competitors out there, right? Immediately as you talk about uh, um, uh, telephonic visits and things like that, I'm thinking Teladoc. Yeah. I'm thinking some other players in the market. Yeah. Why hasn't anybody awakened to the fact that you guys are going into these new markets dominating and then enough to recognize new opportunities and pivot. Do you guys think that if you keep going this route, you might wake some people up? Because you're starting to say Fortune 500s are signing so, up yeah. with you. That's going to get some folks' attention. Yeah. So we can't keep this quiet anymore, I'm, I'm guessing. It's you over. already let the cat out That's of the right. bag, man. I mean, here's the answer. The answer is that safety is absolutely focused on preventative measures to keep you healthy. Teladoc and a bunch of other competitors are dealing with injuries after they happen. So when you look at our service, athletic trainers are there for preventative and triage. They're not there to take care of you after you get injured. So the answer is there's tons of people on the I'm injured, let, help me get better side. There's very few people on the I'm going to make sure that you don't get hurt or I'm going to do my best to give you resources so that you don't get hurt. And so when we saw that, that, that was part of this. This was like, oh, 
you, you do need this solution because you don't have anything like that. And we can make a dramatic um, mark on your, your workplace injuries by focusing on this. And the answer is Teladoc doesn't hire athletic trainers. Could they? Sure, but it's not their business, right? Their business is hiring docs to take care of you after you're sick or when you're sick or injured. And so we just looked at it and went, we have the right specialty with athletic trainers. They are very focused on preventative and um, triage for MSKs. And MSKs are the, the injury problems that employers are having. Let's apply this to that problem. All right, correct me if I'm wrong. So what I'm hearing now is in this pivot, you're actually gonna employ athletic trainers because having those athletic trainers and trying to get to scale on the customer side, they might not be able to. So That's using right. your software deployed in their facilities, your athletic trainers will be able to serve them. That's right. Uh -huh. And that's the key. There are groups that have athletic trainers that go out and, and go on site to these big companies. It's just not scalable. It's very expensive to have an athletic trainer come onto your, your, your site and, and work there for two out of the five days of the week because that's all you can afford. With our solution, you can afford instant access 24-7. And, and the difference in the scaling of that is, is massive. Like, all right, so this, okay, so now you're, you're pulling me in even deeper, right? So you, now you have these, these athletic trainers, uh, you have uh, ability to see, patient, um, let's call it, we're, we're employees, what do, you, mm -hmm. what do you call the people who you're actually Yeah, employees. Yep. You're gonna be able to see employees remotely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and the quality of the service, because that's usually my question and question in my mind, right? Like mm -hmm. the, the effectiveness of seeing somebody in person, mm -hmm versus uh, telephonically, have you done any studies to see if there is a net difference in outcomes or is it yet still early? And is that one of the things that you're thinking about, right? Are you gonna be actually able to deliver on the promise of having a robust prevention uh, metric? Well, so this is where having a six, six year start in the athletic training space has really given us everything we need. We know that that works because over six years, literally 5,000 athletic trainers use our platform every day to take care of athletes. And they use the, the telehealth as a way to communicate about these injuries. So yes, we know it works. And, and while those athletic trainers are on the field sometimes, lots of times there's not. They may be at football Friday night, but there are soccer games or lacrosse games or other sports going on at that point. And it's like that app and the ability to connect with the athletic trainer, that's how parents on the, on the athlete side who don't get to see the AT, get to interact with them. Same thing on the employee side. You may not be able to physically have that AT there, but being able to live chat with them in our app or then do video consults with them, it's enough to actually understand what's going on. They can see range of motion. They can see how your face is when you're dealing with pain. They can talk to you. All the things that would happen on a sideline can happen over that telehealth visit and it's, it's highly effective. All right, now let's talk hardware software. Mm -hmm. So are you guys, just building out software and then outsourcing all of the hardware needs. What kind of hardware are you deploying on location to make this visit possible? Yeah, that's the beauty of it. So all we need is an iPad. So we send out an iPad stand and an iPad, sometimes multiple uh, of those sets, depending on how big the location is. And they structure those in common areas. And then management is trained through us and, and with them that when an injury occurs or somebody's not feeling great, they walk them up to the iPad and they start a session. And that's it, that's the beauty of it. It's that simple. And then once they start the session, RAT comes on through, through the video 
and starts triaging whatever's going on. And then as soon as the AT is able to interact with the employee, the AT can say to the employee, okay, look, I want you to download the Healthy Roster app. We're gonna connect through there. I'm gonna monitor you over the next three days. You're gonna tell me how you feel. You're gonna reach out to me whenever you want, and we're gonna get through this together. Often, that is absolutely the difference maker when it comes to feeling valued as an employee. So in a situation where we're not there and there's no AT on site, that person raises their hand to their manager, says, I don't feel great. And the manager's only real recourse is to send them off to their occupational health partner. A lot of times that's an urgent care or an ER, especially in second or third shift. Those are really expensive. Now take it from the employee side. Those are terrible environments to go into. Your shoulder's aching, but the last thing you wanna do is wait in an ER room for four hours at two in the morning. Mm -hmm. Like That is not what you want. What you want is somebody who knows what's happening in your shoulder to tell you, it's gonna be okay. We're gonna try this course of action to make you feel better with stretching and flexing. And then if it doesn't, then we're gonna take it to the next step and then maybe you do need to go see a doc, but we're gonna help you connect to the right doc at that point. So what you've taken out is this painful experience of going to the ER, which is expensive for the employer and terrible for the employee. Now you've given them a peace of mind and a low cost and it, it just works in concert. All right, so now final question before we close this thing. I gotta give you a tough one to close out. When you start to take on some of the healthcare component, right, actually having the athletic trainers, is there some risk that you're taking on where the course of action recommended might delay something and somebody might have a bigger claim and then turn around and say, hey, the AT told me that this back pain thing could be done by stretching, not knowing it was something more serious. How are you guys thinking about that risk? So, you know, that's why you have a medical director mm -hmm. and lots of insurance. Unfortunately, <laughs> there's no way around it. Right. And, and, but we do take a very serious approach to that. Like our goals are to build the best healthcare team we can and do it the right way. So we don't cut corners. Um, we follow all the guidelines. We have, um, you know, a medical director who's, you know, in charge of making sure the athletic trainers are following the proper protocols and, and, and lots of insurance. Yeah. And we've never had that situation and we don't anticipate having it, but yeah, it's a real life possibility. So you have to guard against it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Nathan, fascinating conversation. I appreciate you joining me. Uh, I, I have my eyes glued to healthy roster now, seeing what you guys are working on, seeing how you evolve, how you develop. Uh, and I'm going to be watching you guys. Thanks. Elio. All right. Really appreciate it. Yeah. 614 Startups Nation. Thank you for joining us on another episode. There you have it. Healthy roster coming to a manufacturing facility near you. Until next time, folks. Peace.